Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe, and I'm one of the leaders at Ember Faith Community. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University. For this season of the Ember Podcast, we're talking about the Book of Revelation. Whether you're a Christian or not, we hope you'll join us in exploring how the apocalyptic poetry in the Book of Revelation challenges power structures helps us to look at the way we use power, and invites us to resist oppression. This is especially relevant for Christians who are called to witness to God's grace, but we hope the Ember Podcast can help spark meaningful conversations for people who have other beliefs as well. Thanks for tuning in. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So today we're talking about Revelation 5. Um, And within Revelation 5, there's a lot of new things that are popping up, really from this point forward. Uh, There's a lot of metaphor and a lot of things to unpack. Um, So yeah, we'll start there. Yeah, so when we um, when we met as a worship group for Revelation 5, Dr. Carey joined us again. For those of you who are just joining us, Dr. Greg Carey is a professor of New Testament at Lancaster Theological Seminary. And he had a couple of very important questions for us. One of the big ones is, there's a lot of talk with um, you know the opening of the seals and the scroll about this lion that's going to show up from the tribe of Judah. And this is the only time that the lion gets mentioned in Revelation. After that, we thought we were going to get a lion that was conquering, and instead we get a lamb that was slaughtered. And um, <clears throat> one of he had some questions that kind of went part and parcel with that. What does real power look like, and what kind of power does God use or not use? I think it's worth noting, too, that so we're told about the lion, and then the lamb comes out, but nobody in the scene goes, hey, where did the lamb come from? What's with that? No one points it out. They are, at that point, joyous and worshiping and burst into song. Um, so it's not addressed at all, that, that dissonance. And I think the image of power, like the image of strength in this, in this part of Revelation being that of not just a lamb, but a slaughtered lamb 
It's pretty striking. I mean, when we think about power, we tend to think about big, strong things, everything that a lion kind of would represent. And yet we get this completely opposite image. Um, and I think as we go through Revelation, holding that image in mind and what if that if that's what power looks like, that's what true power looks like. I think that's going to change the way we kind of view some of the stuff that happens in the next few chapters and kind of calls us into account for our own use of power and what our own power looks like if we are like calling ourselves Christian people in the world. What does that say to us now about the way that we interact with or use power? Yeah. And on a similar note, I mean, it talks about the lamb being slaughtered and ransoming for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. So a lot of the time when people think about Revelation, they think about kind of the judgment, like who gets saved or who ends up getting into the new Jerusalem and who doesn't. And they think about the very exclusive and kind of binary language. And yet the lamb seems to have died for everybody here or the saints from everywhere. So maybe there's some interpretation around even saying like, who's the saint or who is a saint? Yeah. I I mean, in a lot of revelation, we do get sort of exclusivity language of, you know, those who are over here in this camp and those who are not. Um, but in this chapter in particular, there's a lot of what you just mentioned. Um, even when they're looking for somebody to open the seal, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to open the scroll. And then later on, it's it goes even farther than that, that everyone who's singing um, and, and worshiping really is every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. Um, so that even goes beyond that, that saint language to every creature, which to me is really powerful. This is this is all of creation, um, not even just humans. And it's, it's ringing back to what we were talking about in the last episode about this whole idea of worship that permeates Revelation. And something um, Dr. Carey also said that I thought was really striking. In Revelation, worship is naming your allegiance. Which we're going to be talking about this for the rest of this whole unit on Revelation, but this idea that like there's something particular about the followers of the Lamb. There's something about witness. There's something about faithful testimony and endurance. And there's something also about declaring the Lamb as Lord over and above maybe the powers and principalities of this world. I think something that really jumps out to me in in this chapter that I think we'll continue to see run through some of the subsequent chapters is this idea of um, creation. We talked about kind of all of creation worshiping, but there's also the way creation is talked about kind of rings back to the creation story in Genesis and the way that um, the waters are separated and you, you can have the earth and what's under the earth, the sky, the dome, what's above the dome, under the dome, the waters of the seas. And we'll start to see, like, as time goes on in Revelation and as kind of what's opened by the scrolls, the scroll kind of comes to fruition, that we start to get this kind of undoing, like, theme. Like, things are coming apart. Things are being destroyed. Um, but it's interesting to me here that knowing that stuff's going to go awry and things are going to get 
killed and die that it's all of creation that is worshiping i think that's a really powerful image especially given what we've already talked about about how worship in revelation is an act of your whole body and to your point jeremy about what dr carey had said about um worshiping naming your allegiance if you think about kind of the context of the of the roman empire um not worshiping caesar is an act of treason more or less um, so declaring your allegiance isn't kind of what we would think about today, being like, oh, I'm in, I believe this, I'm in this camp, and then everybody kind of goes about their business. This is, again, one of those instances where there is physical threat to your well-being. Yeah, when declaring yourself Christian is decidedly declaring yourself not, you know, a subject of Caesar, uh, a subject of empire. Yeah, if the really land powerful. is Lord, no one else is. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, because in the coming chapters, uh, the scroll and the seals are going to continue to be really important. Let's uh, touch on that a little bit. Um, At this point, we have no idea what the scroll means or what the seals are about. Um, So it's it's interesting. Without any indication of what this is, uh, John in verse 4, begins to weep bitterly. Um, No one is found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. Um, I just, I bring that up because it goes along with what we've been saying about dream logic. Like, he has no idea. It's just a random scroll with a bunch of seals and no one can open it. And, but this is heartbreaking for him. As we're, as we're talking, I'm thinking a whole lot that Revelation 5, to me, feels like the end of a prologue Mm. like the stage has been set and almost like the overture to a musical or a symphony all the main themes have kind of been laid out and all of the main motifs have been introduced and now it's just developing them for the rest of the book and working to resolve them so with the in that same vein with the scroll what kind of themes do you see how, how do we um how do we understand that as a continuation of the themes that have been set up? Well, it's like it's a it's in what we might call a breakpoint in a movie, right? Like it's kind of it's such a, a a paradigm shift in what was in the story arc before that, and finally, like the the major action is kind of being introduced. Otherwise, it's sort of like business as usual, but like something drastic is about to happen. And John doesn't really know what that means, but he knows enough that it it bothers him. Like God's will won't be enacted unless the scroll is opened. And he doesn't know what's going to happen, which is actually kind of horrible. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's not like rainbows and butterflies that come out of the scroll, like... And I think that it's important to kind of note right here, again, that there was nobody on heaven or earth that could open the scroll but the slaughtered lamb. And that in that there's a particular kind of power that's being used that isn't for us to use. Um, And there's a particular kind of authority that is kind of this overarching, sweeping, massive thing. And 
and it, this does feel kind of feel like okay we're on the precipice of something like we've kind of built to this point things have converged we've got this scene of worship now we're getting new people introduced into this scene of worship and here comes action and if you only had chapter five if i had never read the rest of revelation i would expect rainbows and butterflies to come out of this like john is weeping because it can't be opened it must be some great and powerful thing that's about to happen and it is but it's not nice like it's not what i would call like a cheery uplifting kind of thing that's about to happen and come out of these scrolls for for anyone in a position of comfort uh relative uh relatively easy life um yeah i feel like the scroll is really something you want to put off opening as long as possible um so as not to disrupt what is Mm -hmm. easy and nice um so yeah it's it's worth noting that uh, even though they don't really know what is going to happen with the scroll there's rather than a fear of what might happen there's this push to open it they are they are in a position of such chaos already that the opening of the scroll is something they want to happen and i think it speaks to a level of trust in god that i've always Mm -hmm. found to be difficult um in my own life like i I read this and to me like when you don't know what's going to happen the fact that they trust in the will of god that this is the will of god that this scroll must be open that john is weeping over it in a lot of ways to me says something about what they believe about god and the trust that's placed there that's a tough thing um to kind of really live into especially as people in the 21st century who live in relative comfort like i'll i'll speak for the three of us i mean i think i think trusting in god's provision looks different when your life is comfortable um and you don't really have to yeah we have that illusion of like oh yeah we can trust that i can put food on my table i can eat and tomorrow (laughs) likely that will be the same case whereas one of the one of the biggest questions that i think we're going to ask ourselves from this point forward in revelation throughout the rest of the book is if this isn't good news for me, because sometimes it's not going to be, then who is this good news for? And that's a really powerful hermeneutic and way of reading and understanding that I think I didn't expect. Um, I didn't expect that that would be so illuminating when we first started down this road in revolution. Well, and, and to, as we're talking, I'm thinking... We can think about like earth-shattering change, and we can think about the kind of faith and provision at dire need. But also, there's something to be said for recognizing choices that we make that might seem more mundane, but are still very life-changing, like the decision to take a job in another city, the decision to go in for additional education. And I think even in a more kind of like privileged country or a more um, a more comfortable existence, there's still something that we can recognize as having a great deal of power, but also the anxiety that comes with like a major life change. That even if it's positive, it's still something that by its nature is going to completely subvert everything that was in so many ways. Like even making a decision to get married, you might love the person, but there are so many unknowns. And for better or for worse, you're, you're together. And it it creates a completely different dynamic in terms of the way that you live your life. So even something that's positive, I mean, we can still look at that with the same measure of like excitement and trepidation and anxiety. 
that's a good uh, analogy, the marriage thing. Um, I, you're really the only one of the three of us that can speak <laughs> to that reality. But, but uh, yeah, I like that way of looking at it. This week, we invite you to reflect upon what strength looks like. How does your perception of power shift in light of the image of the slaughtered lamb? As we work through this text, we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you, our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, and we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2017. Okay, go ahead. Ha, ha, ha.